Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is uh, Richard Jacobs with Future Technology Podcast. Today I'm interviewing Jonathan Smith, Chief Technology Officer with Civic.com, C-I-V-I-C. And Civic uh, is a, essentially an um, identity protection company. Uh, they process alerts if uh, your identity has been compromised, if you're subject to fraud. So I'd like to welcome Jonathan Smith. How are you doing, Jonathan? Hi, Richard. Thank you very much. I'm doing good. Excellent, excellent. So you can probably describe it more accurately and better than I could, but um, what does Civic do? Does it just do fraud monitoring, or are there a whole host of services that you provide? Well, I think it's important to start at the beginning there. It's, um, that, I think, is the first product that we went to market with in our roadmap. Um, we've actually evolved recently, so perhaps this is more of a correction than anything else in terms of where we're focused. So. Um, while our existing service provides fraud monitoring um, and basically cleanup services and insur- an insurance product for, for consumers, and it's a free-to-consumer product, yeah. where we have to now is to deliver a blockchain-based identity solution. So we want to turn, we, we effectively want to empower users um, to control how they use their identity for everything. Um, and we're effectively solving the person not present problem with identity. So we, we believe that fundamentally nobody other than you should really be able to transact with your private information. Um, and if you think about it, that has profound implications for fraud, which I guess is why we started our journey with fraud. Mm. Um, if, you, if, you, if you think about it, it takes us closer to a world where a person's private information has absolutely no value on the black market which we believe is fundamentally how you get rid of fraud, rather than by securing databases that have hundreds of millions of users. um, If nobody else can use your credit card information, if they're not you or your social security number, then does it matter if it's out there, if you are the only one who can actually use it for anything? Yeah, that's true because, I mean, most people's information is in countless databases and we've seen through the past, you know, five or ten years especially, they've been hacked over and over and over again. Millions compromised here, hundreds of thousands there. So how do you envision this, um, how do you envision people being able to keep and safeguard their own data yet still avail themselves of products and services and share their data in a way they want to, but still keep it? Well, I think that's where the magic of the blockchain comes in, is it actually allows us to create a solution whereby all the data that an individual has that they consider private, um, and even if it's not necessarily considered private, they can actually own it on their mobile device and decide who they share it with. But more importantly than that is that the recipients of this data, they will decide who they trust as an authenticating authority. If you think about it, that's how things work today. Um, If you're trying to cross a border in another country, those countries inherently trust that, 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 that the government that issued that passport has done their due diligence. They're not trusting the individual who shows up at the border. And in the same way, in the future, we see that e-commerce players, they need to trust, even today, they need to trust a 
single authority, uh, whether that be a government-issued ID or any other four systems that they use. So the ability is here where a person can store their own data. It's not centrally located. They can hand that data over to a recipient, and that recipient can independently verify on the blockchain that the data they've received is actually owned by the individual, that the authenticating authority um, is someone that they trust. If they choose to trust the big authenticating authority, that's great. If they will only trust the U.S. Department of State, um, that somebody's date of birth is what they say it is, then that is their minimum bar. But the point is, is all of those um, attestations to identity sit on the blockchain, and the person can hand it over, and, and, the, and the recipient decides whether or not they trust that data simply by looking at the blockchain. And it also takes out the concept of a third party. Um, so things like Facebook Connect are inherently not trusted systems. They, the data is not guaranteed to be authentic. Um, or necessarily owned by that individual, and also there's a third party in the middle that knows everything that's going on and controls what data is sent. I don't know if that gives you an answer. That I both answer that question. How mechanistically can someone keep identity information on the blockchain, or is it is the um, is the information secured essentially with a private key? Like how how do you actually verify someone's information using the blockchain? So. It's not recommended to actually store the, the information itself on the blockchain because if nothing else, even if it's encrypted a brute force, a cat could eventually uncover what that, that is. The, the, the mechanism of hashing data is a one-way uh, function that effectively has to be reproduced from the original data as proof that that data um, is the authentic data. And typical... Um, cryptography and public-private key signing of data is ultimately used as, as the final proof in the system. The data itself, though, should never be stored on the blockchain. But it's rather a, it's rather a central point where once you have the data, you can determine its authenticity based okay. on uh, cryptography um, and the mathematical security of, of that of that blockchain allows that to be a trusted middle party. Okay, so for instance, I have a private key, I generate a public key, um, someone could send me a, uh, a hashed or a coded request, and I could decrypt that using my private key, and only I can, because I have a private key, and in that way, it means that, you know, that it must be um, my data, because only I could have decrypted it. Is that right? Kind of. I think from a from a recipient's point of view, they can recreate the exact hash that they were given, and that hash is stored on the blockchain. And if they can recreate the exact hash, they know that um, ultimately they know that the data they were given is the same as the data that was originally put onto the blockchain. Um, okay. Okay. Gotcha. To prove more accurately that the signatories on that transaction that exists on the blockchain are, you know, you, you, are, you are a party in that transaction. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. So now um, back to Civic. So what are the current products that Civic offers that are the most popular or that you see as the most impactful and how do they work? So what Civic currently offers today is a free identity theft protection service, which is not really blockchain related. 
what we just launched, and we launched it in Money 2020, um, and it's not um, available yet in the public domain for consumers. We're going to, we, we're working with partners for early adoption and testing, um, is the full identity rails that I've been discussing. Uh, so we have demonstrated the ability to use identity in this way seamlessly on the blockchain, right. and we will be providing software development kits as well as a civic application that allows you to use your fully verified identity in scenarios, merchants, um, online and offline applications uh, where, where there are corporations or entities that adopt the technology. Um, simple use cases to consider is, are things like getting into a nightclub and proving you're over 21 or buying alcohol or uh, futuristically paying for goods. You shouldn't be able to pay for goods and services if you can't prove that you own the credit card, for example, attached to that. So those will be the evolutionary steps of what we have just released or just built and, and, and demonstrated. Okay, but for now, the core product that is available to the public is identity protection, essentially, right? Yes, that's correct. So how does it work? Um, someone uses my credit card, you know, a thousand miles away, or, uh, you know, how, how do I set up um, the alerts? What kind of alerts can come to me? How does it work? So typically, um, there, are, there are various networks out there that, that monitor these type of contacts. The credit bureaus, um, for example, will typically get uh, uh, notified when a new account is open, for example. We're not monitoring it on a transaction basis. We're really looking at identity theft. So the credit card industry um, has got your back, generally speaking, if, you, um, if somebody uses your card and it wasn't you. Uh, but where you're typically exposed is, for example, the filing of a tax return or um, a new credit card being opened in your name or some sort of credit facility. Uh, those, those kinds of activities that as they hit your credit records or, or various other databases, you will be notified in real time or as real time as we're able to get the information to you that this activity has happened. And that will help you um, resolve the issue. We offer a fraud, uh, a fraud cleanup line um, whereby if you are concerned that something was, there was some fraud, you can go to us, you can, you can call our helpline and, and we will be able to help you clean it up. We will give you insurance if you're out of pocket, for example. Sometimes there's large legal fees um, and other out-of-pocket incidentals when you've had identity theft that we will, that, our, that, that the insurance policy we offer will cover. How does someone get notified though that there's a problem what, you know, how does it happen traditionally right now, and would it happen any differently under using your system? So often it would, uh, so right now if you're not protected at all, you often will find out um, quite far down the road that something has gone wrong. Maybe you'll try to apply for a car loan and you'll be declined because, um, because of bad credit that um, had nothing to do with you. It was fraudulent, strong, fraudulent accounts that had been opened in transactions Yes, those accounts had defaulted and hence your credit report, your credit score would have gone down. You won't know until, until you try and, and do something. Um, right now, what will happen is if, if, for example, a credit card is being opened using your details or some credit facility or a car loan, um, what will happen is as soon as it hits our, um, the services that we use to monitor, Basically, you'll get an, an SMS or an email, or if um, when we release our app 
shortly to, to the App Store, you'll get a, a push notification saying that Bank XYZ has just tried to open a new credit facility for you. Was this you? And if it wasn't you, you'll, we will give you full instructions on how to take action to stop this right there and then. So it gives you preemptive strike, really, against the fraud. Okay, so all right, so people would sign into your service and they would get updates pretty much in real time of people trying to use their credit to open up new credit lines, new accounts, that kind of thing. Yeah, it really depends on the partners that integrate both with us and um, and and things like credit bureaus. Not every company, for example, if you go into a doctor's office today um, or a dentist is, is common, uh, you'll just give your social security number. That's not necessarily you. What we want to see in a, in a growing network is where healthcare industry will integrate directly with us. And every time you somebody enters your social security number in any scenario, whether it be for financial fraud or otherwise, you will be notified of it and be able to take remedial action. So what are some of the partners that you've partnered with so far? What are some of the major ones that would give people uh, coverage? So the major ones are at the credit bureau level. Um, so they're looking at the financial side of it. We have partnerships in play with um, some of the HR providers in, in terms of uh, job application assistance, and we're working with all sectors uh, to try and establish the right partners to integrate with us. Um, and obviously, as, it, as more people integrate with us, the network effect will make it grow naturally because fraud will be pushed from those providers um, to unprotected institutions, and, and we hope to see a big network effect from that. All right, and what um, it seems to say on your website, the service is free. Is it truly free, or is there part of it that is, and then is a paid add-on, or how, how do you guys get paid? For consumers, it's completely free. It's the partners that integrate directly with us that are offered the real financial benefit. Um, when when a fraudulent account is opening someone's name, they're the ones who, who come out of pocket for significant amounts of money, and mm. hence they're the ones pay ultimately um, to get ahead of that fraud. Oh, so that would be their incentive is, all right, they'll bear the brunt of fraudulent accounts being opened, just like credit cards do if there's, you know, fraudulent charges. So they have the incentive and they, therefore they pay the money to be a part of this network. Effectively, yes. Okay, all right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what other uh, other products do you have that are available now or coming that uh, people would find of interest and of use? Um, I think we've spoken about the, the main product, which is the, the true identity on your phone identity as a service product. Um, I think the, the, the first use case for that will start coming out in terms of uh, being able to log on to a website without without any password. So passwordless login, uh, automatic form filling, um, or, or I should rather say the, the, the need not to fill in any forms in the future. Um, those are the more immediate use cases that, that will start coming up. Um, you know, we, we intend very quickly to be able to do away with things like two-factor authentication. Um, SMS authentication is not the best, and authenticator applications have very low adoption for the masses. So we believe that we've created the, the, the real solution to passwordless, um, passwordless logins and the elimination of the need for your old-school two-factor authentication. We now have a multi-factor solution is far more robust, secure, and user-friendly. So how would um, a simple login and password use case work? 
how would uh, I not have to enter that in? Where would the information come from, and how would how would the website treat it? So the the one implementation that we've dem demonstrated, and it can there are many op options in how to do this, is a simple uh, QR code or other type of image um, coming up on a screen that you scan with your phone, and the data will be transferred between the phone and the and the recipient website, for example. Uh, and that will eliminate because of the authentication that, that goes on on the, on the device and various uh, things like biometrics. Um, there will be no need for a for a password because the receiving website knows it's getting authenticated data. Um, as per the what we spoke about earlier, using the blockchain, they can verify that. So they know you own the data. They know it's you who's who's trying to log on. Um, so the, the need for a password goes away. Oh, okay. All right. So it's a combination, in some cases, of biometrics, other cases of information being stored on a smartphone. It sounds like a mixture of things. Yeah, well, we, we, we see the smartphone, at least for now, as the main entry point. So you can, and the, the receiving website determines what level of authentication they want to trust. If they are happy that you just use a fingerprint on your smartphone um, to open up our application and transfer the information to them, Mm. then that's fine. They believe they want face recognition done on the smartphone at the exact same time, then that is a requirement that they can set forth. And if they get the data under those constraints, then uh, they, they are happy. And that's far more reliable than a username and password, which may or may not be the, the, the individual who's logging on. How widespread is this kind of um, identification? Because I, you know, I, I, I haven't seen it. I've seen passwords. Um, that kind of thing, but I haven't seen facial recognition. I haven't seen fingerprint much. I mean, how widely adopted is this, and what do you think that the trends are going to be like? The tipping point is coming now with smartphones having improved so dramatically over the last few years. Uh, being able to actually do face recognition on a phone is becoming viable. Uh, voice recognition is starting to actually take off in a lot of financial services spaces. Right now, at call centers, are, are using voice recognition. Um, so, I think biometrics is definitely the future, and there are various things coming out. You, you see the Samsung Galaxy uh, starting to implement retina scanning. So, the opportunity is now to, to start using those far more effectively online. If you look at things like what Microsoft implements in their in their Surface Pro, is a very advanced 3D camera uh, produced by Intel that allows very good facial recognition for logging onto a desktop PC. So um, and it's interesting, we were recently at Money 2020 and the number of companies advertising specifically biometrics like face recognition has exponentially increased. Um, and the use cases are, the companies, especially banks using things like biometrics is, is growing phenomenally. Okay, so you think that over the next few years, this is gonna become pretty prevalent and the predominant way of, of verifying yourself? Yeah, ultimately we have to get to markers that cannot be replicated easily and biometric things like um, heartbeats, if you look at wearable technology, where, where it can go, even down to maybe looking at uh, electrical rhythms in your pulse, uh, there, there, there's so much coming out in that space, I, I think that, that is definitely the future of authentication. Um, do you see any pushback by consumers that they would feel um, it's too burdensome to scan their retina or 
you know, have their heart rate monitored or their face analyzed? I think right now we have we haven't explored with consumers the depths of what what that would mean. I think it's important for consumers it needs to be seamless. Um, holding up a phone these days and simply allowing it to take a, a picture of your face, um, as long as it's quick and seamless, the, the people we talk to and, and the surveys we've done imply that this would be trivial, uh, a, tr a trivial adoption mechanism. However, if it takes you 10 seconds and you have to sit there and wait to log onto a website, that, that, that would be a problem. Right. So uh, you look at the technologies out there today, things like having to carry around an RSA token as a two-factor authentication mechanism is very painful for consumers. Um, very few consumers adopt things like two-factor authentication with separate apps that you have to use and get a code and re-enter that. Those are cumbersome. Those, that, right. That's what we needed to be less and automatic. Yeah, that makes sense. That's true, right? If you have to get codes texted to you or emailed to you, it is cumbersome, and those systems don't always work. And, um, even with biometrics, even with these systems that you know promise to be seamless, now, what if you have the opposite problem where the uh, the verification is too good, and for some reason there's an error, and you can't get onto a system with password recovery, those kinds of things? What what's going to be the default if someone has a problem? and they can't log on for some reason or another. I think if, if, as we see situations that, that truly end up in that realm, um, what we will have with things like a digital identity is the ability to quickly re-authenticate and reissue your entire identity to you. Right now, if you lose your passport, there really is no alternative other than going through the lengthy process of getting a passport again. It shouldn't, it should be just as important to prove who you are as you do when you get a new passport issued, you should be able to very quickly do that to get a new identity issued. Um, and we, we built the rails to allow that simplicity, but it's, you know, the closer we can get to zero friction for those use cases, the better. Mm, okay. So do you think biometrics is gonna be the thing that allows ultimate portability an ultimate um, single use of your data, or is it going to be something else or a combination of things? Right now, I think it's a combination of biometrics with things like distributed ledgers. Um, you have to you have to be able to have it for, for universal adoption across borders and across industries. You need to have a public publicly available solution that is safe and secure and can be trusted by governments and institutions. So the blockchain does cater for that scenario. And the biometrics simply allow the proof needed um, by third parties to trust that you, the, the person standing in front of you is actually the owner of that information. Right, okay. So, I don't, so right now I see that as biometrics and blockchain being having a really great uh, solution for Okay. And you know, I'm sure your goal is to get obviously as widespread of uh, use and adoption as possible. What can people do to find out if um, your services would be useful to them? Is there any simple criteria they can use to, to gauge that? Or are there resources on your website where they could determine you know, whether this will be useful for them and how? 
So the use will come as, as partners come on board and as we release the technology to the public. So I would say watch our website for news. Um, we will be updating that as partners go live with our services over the next few months. Um, and of course, the more partners that adopt, uh, the more the more useful that single identity will be to to take across services um, and industries. Do you do you see? Is there any downside? to being able to know for sure that you have your own identity and no one else has it? Is it, you know, surveillance uh, controlled by governments? Is there any downside that you see to this that people aren't talking about? I don't think we see that yet. The, 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 the benefits, the downsides might come into how easy it is now to anonymize oneself. I think right now a lot of services are often based on the ability to truly authenticate someone. Um, what we are offering is the ability for someone to prove they're a real person, they're the only person who owns that identity, but it opens up the door to a lot of anonymous use cases, and that can be good and bad. I, I don't. I think for the, largely it will be for the good. Uh, it will help organisations not necessarily store data, for example, that they don't need. A lot of organisations only take a lot of the information so that they can offer the services and do certain tweaks in the background. They won't need to do that anymore. Um, where anonymity may become dangerous is anyone's guess, but I think, by and large, it would be, it would be more positive than negative. Okay. Um, again, not to be dystopian, but one last question about this. If it's a retinal scan, and your retina is scanned, and it's compared to um, a scan in a database, and that scan is stolen, and if there's a facial recognition, and that pattern is stored in a database, and that's stolen, wouldn't this be even worse if somebody could steal that data and then reuse it to access different systems? Because the assumption is that now uh, there's sure authentication, so people wouldn't worry about uh, things being stolen when, in fact, they may be able to be. Well, I think the key there is that things like that are not stored centrally on databases. They shouldn't be. They should be localized on the phone. So by localizing data, it means the to actually hack data at scale becomes very, very difficult. Mm. Um, you literally have to hack everybody's device. Um, what you should rather look for is the markers to say that the identity that was issued using those biometric markers at that point in time, um, that that matches. And if you did end up in a scenario where somehow all of this was compromised, it is the push of a button to reissue a brand new identity on the blockchain with new keys and with new um, fingerprinting as such into, into that identity. So um, I think the risk reward is, 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 is not comparable to anything we have today. Okay. Yeah, I, I know they're tough questions. I just, yeah, I guess I just wanted to look at uh, all sides of the issues. So, all right, that makes sense. Um, any Anything else I should have asked you that uh, we left out that you want to talk about? No, I think uh, we covered a lot more than, than I thought we would. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> is there anything that you think is is uncertain or that needs to be delved into to deeper? I think you know, from our perspective, uh, we believe that you know we've created a step change in our identity. We've genuinely got a, a solution now to scale identity and how people will share their information. Is fundamentally can change once you control its use. Mm. Um, I think that that's the key. There's no central point of failure 
anymore to yeah, and reuse of, of information really is within the consumer's hands now. Okay, well, well that's great. Um, so the last thing is, again, for people that are interested in what Civic has to offer, uh, what's the best way for them to contact you? Just go to the website or or any other uh, any other ways? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a partners page, so companies that are interested in implementing our technologies or want to know more, just go and fill in the, the, the partners link and uh, we will get back to you. And, uh, yeah, we, we have a support desk that's actively monitored, so please go and... Um, Send us your questions, and, and we do our best to answer. All right, very good. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.